Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. I am your host, Trevor Williams. And as a native Floridian, I have always known about oysters here in Northwest Florida and really how important they are to places like Apalachicola, um, Carabelle, Mexico Beach, places like that. Well, you know, if obviously if you're not from Florida, you don't know how important aquaculture is to the Florida economy. I mean, first off, agriculture is like the second largest industry in the state of Florida because we have our beautiful beaches. We also have huge aquaculture industries like oysters, scallops, fishing, a whole bunch of other processes and stuff. And so today we're going to learn about the process of raising and growing oysters here in Florida. We are going to be chatting with Miss Keller, who goes by the name of Oyster Mom. And she started out working with the Nature Conservancy, and now she farms oysters in Florida. So we're going to talk to her about how she went about discovering oysters, farming them, what the process is of farming oysters versus harvesting um, wild oysters, and also kind of why um, wild oyster collecting has been banned for about five years here in Florida in certain areas to kind of help revamp the population, what that looks like, and really how important these awesome shellfish are to the state of Florida. So this is so fun. And this is also a cool little um, tidbit. If you are a fan of craft beer, you might be well aware of Oyster City Brewing Company out of Apalachicola. Well, um, Oyster Mom actually had Oyster City Brewing Company brew a special batch with oysters, which is wild. I believe it was called like Pucker Shucker or something like that. So that was super cool. And we're also, before I forget, we're also going to learn just how important shellfish and oysters are to the ecosystems here in Florida. So this is so fun. Be sure to check out Oyster Mom at the links below. And next time you go out to a restaurant, maybe try some Florida oysters if they're on the menu. All right. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy this episode. 
All right. Well, Keller, a.k.a. The Oyster Mom, welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to chat with you. We're kind of in the same neck of the woods. We're up here in northwest Florida. And, you know, I, I'm very much aware of the importance of oysters here in Florida, how important they are to, you know, the local economy and also kind of how the industry has been suffering a little bit, which we'll talk more about later. But kind of tell us about your background and how you became known as the Oyster Mom. <laughs> okay. Well, um, my background is that I have been like a diehard conservationist for my the majority of my professional career. I worked first in New Jersey fighting polluters, getting better laws for environmental protection, taking care of the ocean and the waterways and the drinking water. And then I got recruited by the Nature Conservancy to come down here to Florida. That was in 1991. So I have been, I worked for the Nature Conservancy from 91 until 2020 when I retired after 29 years. So the Nature Conservancy's mission was to protect the biodiversity of life on Earth. And that means really protecting the lands and waters, making them healthy, making sure that our ecosystems are in good shape. And oysters are such a keystone species to our estuaries and bays that part of our agenda became restoring the oyster population. 85% of it here in the state of Florida has um, been decimated. It's, the population has crashed of the wild oyster. And so the Nature Conservancy started getting involved in oyster reef restoration. And I was aware that the Conservancy was working around the world on different aquaculture projects and had been invited by the Tallahassee Community College and the Wakulla Environmental Institute to be part of their advisory board putting together what would be a, a program of nature-based job training. And the advisory committee came up and said, hey, let's do oysters. We need this industry. And so I got involved. <laughs> That's awesome. I was like, oh, take me. And... Um, so when we started the program, we were being instructed on everything about oysters you needed to know and didn't think you need to know to raise an oyster, but you really do. So I went through this training and we found out that we needed a ton of permits and permissions to actually make oyster aquaculture a viable industry in the state of Florida. So I worked pretty hard um, tenaciously, I might say, for a year to get the permits that were needed from the National Marine Fisheries Service, the Army Corps of Engineers. We had to go before the governor and cabinet, the Division of Aquaculture. Um, we had to get permission from the, the Coast Guard and put up navigational lights and get our sites surveyed. So there was all this work, the grunt work, essentially, that needed to be done. And I just took that on. And um, I don't know. Then I put oysters in the water because I thought I did all this work. I might as well become an oyster farmer and see how it is. Yeah, there you go. Might as well. I mean, you're kind of trying to save this industry. And, you know, I I'm sure a lot of people have seen, you know, the viral videos of putting um, oysters in a fish tank and it's like dirty water and you can see how quickly the oysters filter the water. And so, I mean, how important are oysters to local ecosystems? Oh my gosh, they are so essential. I mean, that video that you've seen is is an indicator of their filter feeders. 
And so it's important for the clarity of the water that they are out there filtering the water. Once the water's clear, you can have sea grasses, you can have a lot more light penetrating down to the bottom of the water, the bay, and a lot more life grows. But they themselves are habitat and nursery areas for I don't even know how many species. It's amazing what I am seeing in my oyster farm in terms of number of crab species, um, fish species, things that I don't know what they are. (laughs) They just show up on my farm. And on an oyster bar, an oyster reef, they're doing the same thing. So they're habitat. And then they're also um, protecting our shorelines from storm surge, which is becoming more and more important as we go into these more intense seasonal hurricanes and storms that are happening all around our coastlines. So I know that, I mean, being raised in Florida, I mean, so I'm from Bluntstown and you know, the Apalachicola River goes right through it. And I mean, for years, Georgia, Alabama, and Florida have been really fighting over the water that's in the Apalachicola River. And of course that empties out into the Gulf of Mexico, which is huge for the oyster population, like around um, Carabelle, Apalachicola, all those awesome areas. And so, I mean, what would you really say has caused, I mean, the demise of the whole oyster industry in Florida? Cause I know, what is it? I think in Mexico beach or somewhere, like they're not allowing oyster farming for a couple of years. Is that right? In Apalachicola itself, in the Apalachicola Bay, they have um, put a halt to oyster harvesting of wild oysters for five years. And we're now, I think, entering our third year of that, probably second year, actually. Um, That just pertains to the wild oyster population. But yes, there's a lot of things that have contributed to the demise of the wild oyster population. I would say first and foremost was just we as humans not taking care of our water and the runoff and what pollutants are going into the water. So that's been going on for a century. Additionally, we found out that oyster shells were an actual product and we could sell those shells for roads and construction work. And a wild oyster needs that hard substrate down in the bottom of the bay to attach to when it's a very young um, microscopic little spat. Well, we took those oysters out of the water and sold the oysters and then again sold the shells. So nothing was going back in the bottom. So now we had a mud base instead of a hard Mm. shell base for the oysters to build upon. That's how we form those oyster bars, oyster reefs. So that was number two. Number three could have been um, obviously the decrease in fresh water coming down the Apalachicola Bay. Now that's specific to that bay where there was such a decrease in the fresh water that the salinity of the bay rose. That brings in new predators, which feed upon the young oysters. And it also, of course, stresses the oysters because the oysters don't like it too salty. So that's another problem. Then we had the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. And everyone predicted that that oil slick was going to come into the Apalachicola Bay. Now, again, this is something specific to the western panhandle of Florida and the areas along the coast impacted by that oil spill. In the state of Florida, the Governor Scott said, everything is going to be dead anyway, so why don't you get out in front of the oil spill and harvest everything? 
Well, when you harvest everything, there's nothing left to reproduce. So they greatly decreased the reproductive oyster population out there, particularly in Apalachicola Bay, which was the last sort of vestige of wild oyster harvesting. So that caused a whole bunch of people who were making a lot of money um, harvesting wild oysters to now resort to harvesting what we call shorts, which are immature oysters, which of course then they still had less and less out there that were reproducing. So you really had a super crash of the oyster population. And it's not, it's never one thing. So it's kind of a combination of everything involved here to cause the demise of the wild oyster population. Yeah, it kind of sounds like, I mean, kind of a perfect storm where there was a bunch of issues that happened that really led to its demise. So, I mean, you've been working in in this industry for a while. So how is it looking now? Like, are there signs of improvement? Um, What does it look like? So um, I'm in oyster aquaculture, which is completely different than wild oyster harvesting, which, you know, with a wild oyster harvest, you go out there and you depend upon Mother Nature to create the population and then you take that population. Whereas what I do in oyster aquaculture is I purchase my seed from a certified hatchery. So we take two oysters and breed them together and create millions of baby oyster seed, which I I and all the other oyster aquaculture farmers purchase and put in our cages and raise them and sell them. So we're taking no oysters from the wild oyster population. Everything is, you know, sort of this giving back to the environment because our oysters are out there doing their little oyster thing of filtering water and creating habitat and buffering storm surges. But it's all because we have purchased these oysters and managed them at our farms. And so, you know, that's what we're doing. The wild oyster population, I think, left alone, um, supported by making sure that we do have clean water coming into our bays, um, looking at the quantity of fresh water that's coming into our bay and managing that, taking care of our environment, that oyster, I think, will definitely come back. But we have to take care of all of those factors for a wild oyster to come back. Yeah, I can imagine. And I mean, it sounds like what you guys are doing with oyster aquaculture, you're, like you like you said, you're really helping the environment and the ecosystems by supplying it with those oysters that are protecting from storm surge, filtering out water. And so it can slowly bring back that ecosystem while the wild ones kind of catch up. The aquaculture industry, we're planting both what they call triploid and diploid oysters. And diploid oysters are essentially a wild oyster. They reproduce and send spat, millions and millions and millions of spat out into the the bay. And so we're actually giving new baby oysters to that bay by doing our oyster aquaculture. Oh, that's interesting. So, I mean, you're you're technically kind of losing oysters from this, but you're repopulating the area. That's so cool. The area, right. Okay. So, you know, tell us, so you, um, I'm checking out your Instagram now, which is Keller underscore, or underscore oyster mom. And you've got a lot of cool stuff on here on oysters, on how you farm them, on how you prepare them for people. So walk us through, if you don't mind, kind of the process of 
farming, taking care of the oysters, and then harvesting them, and then what it's like to deliver them to consumers, whether that's at a farmer's market, a wedding, or whatever else. Okay. So first you start with getting a lease, and you have to get a lease from the state of Florida. Here, I'm going to talk about Florida because I don't know that much about other states. So in the state of Florida, we get um, a parcel of, of water, and mine is an acre and a half. It's sovereign submerged land owned by the state of Florida, and I pay them month uh, annual rent. That plot is surveyed and marked with survey poles, which I maintain, that have my, my site number on them. I get my equipment. I choose my equipment. There's a lot of different kinds of equipment out there. So I've tried all of them, and I've settled upon one that I like. Um, I use Oyster Grow equipment. It's made in New Brunswick, Canada. So I had to have that shipped down and um, installed that on my lease. So I have 250 cages on my lease that are tethered to the bottom um, on an anchor line. So we put all that infrastructure in. And then I pray that an oyster hatchery is able to have a successful spawn (laughs) and gets baby oyster seed to me, which literally I get a phone call and I'm told they're ready. (laughs) And so then you rush to the hatchery and get the oysters and then rush home. And then you take them and put them out on the water in bags in my cages. And there they sit and grow and they eat what is in the water in my bay. I feed them nothing. But I do have to take care of them. I do have to make sure that the bags don't become too dense as the oysters grow. You want to make sure there's room in there for them to move around. it. They, they float around and, and filter feed. And so the density, managing the density and managing the size of the oysters in the bags. And so I'm out there about four days a week Um, And I also desiccate my oysters, which means basically flipping them up in the air once a week to make sure that barnacles and other little baby oysters are not growing on them. So I get a clean, pretty oyster that the restaurants and people like, not a big cluster of oysters like the wild oysters happen to be look, look like. And so I'm out there. I have a big tumbler. I have two boats. Um, my big boat has a roof. I keep telling people I'm going to put a bedroom and bathroom up there because <laughs> I spent so much time on it. But, you know, anyway, it keeps me shaded, which was really helpful today because it was 98 degrees out there. Um, it has an eight foot long tumbler in it that has three sorting sizes. It actually has two tubes. So I have six sorting sizes I can do with that tumbler. Um, I put the oysters from the bag into the tumbler, sort them by size. So then I rebag the oysters with um, less dense, with just like a quarter full to give them room to grow. And when they're harvestable, I bring them into my own processing plant. Now, in the beginning, I did not have a processing license. And so I drove my oysters to Apalachicola and they were sold as Apalachicola oysters, (laughs) even though it was an hour and 15 minutes away in a different bay. Um, But now I'm a processor. So I have a processing facility in Tallahassee. It's a big refrigerator. They, the state of Florida um, inspects my refrigerator regularly and my paperwork and make sure I'm doing everything right. And I 
then bring the oysters. There's a very strict time temperature matrix for harvesting. And so I follow that and record everything, the temperature of the oysters when they arrive, the temperature of the oysters two hours after they arrive. And then I mark, well, I mark it through my Facebook page, Oyster Mom, and my Instagram, Keller underscore Oyster Mom, and my website, OysterMom.com, and word of mouth. And I also um, sell my oysters at farmer's markets, and I sell at the Red Hills online farmer's market, which people just go online and order and then end up getting my oysters. And I do wedding receptions and parties. And Saturday night, I'm doing a charity event for Boys and Girls Club here of the Big Bend. So I will actually give away my oysters at an event that people are supporting that that charity. So I, you know, kind of reach out into the community and try to give back and introduce people to oysters. My, my whole thought about this when I got into it, first of all, I never thought I'd be in, I'm now eight years. I'm eight years. I thought I might stay in it for like two years, but I love it too much. You're a lot more into it than you thought. Yeah. Oh my God. I love it. It's like a part of me now, you know, they're my babies. And, um, but anyway, my, my first thing was, let me grow this industry. Let me help get the oyster industry back to a healthy place. That was my first goal. And so getting the permits and getting, you know, everything kind of in place so that people around the state of Florida, anywhere in the state of Florida, could do oyster aquaculture, in water column oyster aquaculture. Those were the big permits I had to get. So that was number one. And number two was, let's bring the oyster back into people's lives and people's homes. And so I know there's a lot of um, high-end oyster eating in restaurants all over the country. But what I was interested in is that party that you have at your house where you're shucking on your back porch and where you're shucking on the tailgate of your truck, you know, at some event that you're doing and just being able to give people oysters so that they can have them as a community, a social food again, because that was so much a part of the culture in this area. And I wanted that to have to come back, which is why I continue to sell retail right to people out of my warehouse. And I continue to sell at the farmer's markets and wherever else so that people can literally eat an oyster at home or at their friend's house or at the beach or wherever they're going. Yeah, it's so funny growing up here in Florida. I mean, I can remember when I was a kid, the cool thing to do was to get a bag of oysters in the wintertime eat them by a fire, you know, put them on a cracker, you get some hot sauce and just have them the old school way. And it, I mean, that's really continued. And even now, like my wife and I, we went to a baby shower a couple of months ago and there was a table of some guys shucking fresh oysters, which is so fun. I mean, it's just such a fun experience that, I mean, like you said, it's kind of ingrained in like, I don't know, Northwest Floridians history, which is so cool. It's like part of us. It really is. It's social food. I mean, I look at when I do the weddings you know, you've got the groom side and the bride side and those families have never met. And all of a sudden, everybody's belly up to the oyster bar <laughs> and they're talking about their oysters and their oyster experiences. And they're talking about, you know, what kind of toppings they, they like on their oysters. And all of a sudden, there's no divide between those families. And oysters just have a way of their conversation starter. And now that we're doing the oyster aquaculture 
it is definitely a reviving and thriving industry that's just going to continue to grow in this area. I really hope it does. I mean, it's really cool to see them kind of flourish in different dish- dishes and different recipes. And kind of speaking of that, what what would you say is your favorite way to eat oyster, just raw or grilled or, or what? What is your favorite way? So personally, because I'm oyster mom, I have to eat an oyster every time I harvest because I want to know what it tastes like. I, t- you know, I can check the salinity. I know what time of year it is, all that kind of stuff. I know how long the oyster's been out there. But I taste an oyster absolutely naked, and I totally suggest that everybody does that to taste the oyster. So no matter what you like on your oyster, shuck one, eat it with nothing on it, and taste and savor that oyster. And I guarantee you, if you eat an Oyster Bay oyster, you're going to come back for another one because they are a complex, delicate flavor. They're just beautiful. And then you can put all your other stuff on it if you want it. So um, if I'm eating them raw, my favorite thing to put on my oysters is my homemade tomatilla sauce. Oh, that sounds really good. It is the bomb. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I now have put, you can get my recipe on my website, oystermom.com, because so many people just go, oh my God, you this is just the best, got to have it. So I eat my homemade tomatilla sauce on my oysters. It's tomatilla jalapeno cilantro. Um, it's really good. You just need a little bit on it. And it's a lovely flavor. It's also very good on your eggs in the morning or just with tostita scoops. You know, it's really good sauce. So that's my favorite way to eat them. Um, or I, I know it sounds really simple, but I just love them with garlic butter grilled on the, on the grill. That also sounds really good. Mm-hmm. Over a fire on the grill, pop, you know, they pop open, you pull them off, open them up. And literally we just shuck them into a, a little individual bowl with garlic butter melted and, pull it out with a toothpick. I love it that way. (laughs) Now, I I love it with Parmesan cheese and also kind of a little bit, not really different, but there is just an absolute art to shucking oysters. I mean, there are some people that do it so quick. I I don't know. It takes me like a minute per oyster. And so it, it seems like there's just such a cool refined art to shucking. Well, there is. It's a skill that has to be learned. I never shucked an oyster before I became oyster mom. And, um, so it was something I've really had to learn. I'm still pretty bad at it when I'm because well because I'm talking so much all the time when I'm shucking in front of people at a wedding, you know they're asking me about the oyster farm and everything and and I'm trying to talk and make eye contact and shuck at the same time, and but you know I'm getting better and better every single event that I do and then I have um, several professional shuckers on my payroll. And they are amazing. They have shucked at oyster bars for years and can literally <laughs> just like pop them open and get them out there. <laughs> and when I'm doing an event and there's just so many people lined up to get oysters, I always bring them along. Yeah, that's so fun. I mean, yeah, I, I bet you're just like talking to people and it's really hard to do. I mean, are people always asking you like, hey, where are these oysters from? Like, do you grow them yourself or like, are they ever asking you those questions? Well, here in Tallahassee, I kind of have made a name for myself. All right. So, for instance, tonight at 3 o'clock, I was ordering my dinner online. 
and I got a recording. So I left the recording saying, yeah, I want two prime rib dinners, blah, blah, blah. Right. And hung up. Well, the phone rings and I don't recognize the name on the caller. So I, when that happens, I say, hi, this is Oyster Mom. And he goes, oh my gosh, you're Oyster Mom? (laughs) (laughs) The guy at the local restaurant like had heard of me, you know, and boom, there you go. So yes, I have a lot of a story to tell and um, I'm proud to tell it. I'm really happy that this industry has grown the way it has and I feel somewhat like the mother of it because of getting all those permits. And then also I've raised seven oyster farmers who now have their own farms. They've started with me on my farm and now are off farming themselves and being successful. And that's really amazing to watch, you know, to see someone else really start and get a business going the same way I did. You know, we all learned pretty much alongside of each other because no one had done it here in Florida before us. So that's been fun too. I bet that was. Yeah. I mean, you also offer oyster training. And so what's the response been like for that? I mean, I'm sure that's super fun to kind of see the, um, I don't know, the next generation of Florida oyster farmers continue to grow. So I have, I know. So four years ago, there was a, a kid working for me. He was, um, he was in Vota in at Lively at this um, in welding school, and so he worked with me until he graduated and went off to be a welder. He's literally just come back to me this week and said, "I missed it, and I want to do it, and I want to start my own farm." Oh, that's awesome! And I just feel like you know whatever there's so much about oyster farming. It's, I mean, to me, it's therapeutic. It's absolutely rewarding in so many ways. It's incredibly challenging. I I don't want people to think it's a piece of cake because it is very challenging and we have a lot of risks that we take and issues we have to deal with. Like number one is weather. Number two is a boat, (laughs) you know, anybody, you know, number three, you know, live animals that we're taking care of that are subject to weather impacts and salinity impacts and hurricanes and just a regular storm can impact them. So, you know, I don't want people to think it's a piece of cake, but it is incredibly rewarding and there's just nothing like being out on the water. It's a great office. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you get to be outside. And I'll tell you, like every other farmer that I talk to, they always say that that's one of their biggest perks. Like they just love being outside, being a part of nature. And, you know, I mean, the world is technically kind of your office. Like, I mean, the, the bay is your office. The boat is your office. It's, it sounds like a pretty good setup. Until the boat decides not to start. <laughs> Let me tell you, I completely feel your pain. My my wife and I, we bought a boat from her dad who fixed it up. And unfortunately, this boat had sat outside for like 10 years, maybe. And the first time we took it out, it broke down eight times. And we were like so fed up. And so we've had her for about two and a half years. We think all of the kinks are out of it. But, you know, you know, a boat stands for bring it another thousand. <laughs> Good luck with that. Uh, oh, so yes. um, my first my first helper out on the farm was blind. And he was a friend of, of mine and um, had just gone blind. And 
Lady Oyster has done a podcast of he and I together to tell this story. So you can refer people to that. But she um, she interviewed us. But Michael and I, Michael said, do you think I can do it? And I was like, I don't know. I mean, you know, I've never worked with a blind person and I'm new to oystering. This was my first oystering oh my. year. But anyway, we went out and learned together. And of course, this one day the boat died. We're like coming back in and we realized it was just out of gas. And luckily, you know, I felt so smart because I had an extra gas tank on board. But we didn't realize that the connector between the new gas tank and the old gas tanks were different. <laughs> and so there, I tell this story that there we are, an idiot and a blind guy <laughs> out in the water with a broken boat. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and, of course, the blind guy fixed it. <laughs> and... And we came home easily, you know, well, not easily, but anyway, we, we made it home. We figured out, he figured out how to put jury rig it together so that we could have our second gas tank attached. But, you know, there's always those challenges and then there's the weather and, you know, you know, living in Panama city, a storm can pop up on you out in the Gulf of Mexico. Like it doesn't even show up on the radar and all of a sudden you're in a thunderstorm. And so I've really learned to watch the tides and the weather and the sky and the wind just so much more than than I ever knew I would have to. I mean, I literally can feel it almost when there's something going to change or the wind's going to shift and we're going to have to reposition or we're going to have to go in quickly. So all of those are challenges I had to learn. I'm a Pennsylvania girl, for goodness sake. I'm a mountain girl. And all of a sudden thrown into this water industry with boats and mechanical issues and oysters I had to shuck. <laughs> and it's been a it's been a challenge and a learning experience, but that's part that's so much part of it. It's so much part of the joy of it too. Yeah, I bet that's so fun, just kind of problem solving. And I mean I don't know. I I guess being out of your element, you're like, oh man, this is different, but this is like a very good different. It's a very good. <laughs> so, very what good. are what are some of the biggest misconceptions that you see people have about about oysters? I mean, like just thinking off the top of my head, I know one of the biggest things out there is, oh, you're only supposed to eat oysters in months with an R. And so, is that something that's not correct? And like, what other common misconceptions do you see? Yes, that's probably the biggest misconception. Um, so we now have very serious regulations that we adhere to and we're, we're monitored, we're inspected. And so that helps with making sure that the public is getting a really, really healthy and safe oyster. And it starts in the hatchery, by the way, with pathology inspections of the oyster seed that we buy. And then we're trained and then the processor, which I'm a processor, has strict regulations on refrigerations and time and temperature matrix that we have to follow. Um, So that's a big part of it, our regulations. And then our refrigeration has just improved so much. So what I can do, you know, I'll harvest. On a morning that I harvest, I'll go out there and in about 30 minutes, I can pull three to 4,000 oysters that are ready in bags into my boat and get them back to the dock. 30 minutes. So that's the time that they're out of the water. And then, you know, I get them to my refrigerator and immediately start to bring their temperature down so that the bacteria growth is mineral. And so that really helps. But the other part that helps with the 
our misconception. We are also growing what's called a triploid oyster, and this is an oyster that does not reproduce. So the summer months are when a wild oyster would be reproducing and would form its sperm and eggs inside of it. And that takes a lot of energy. And so the oyster is putting energy into that instead of producing meat and muscle. And so you get an oyster that doesn't taste as good and it also has less meat to it until they spawn and then recover from that spawn. Well, our oysters are triploid oysters. They have three sets of chromosomes, so they don't reproduce. And that actually makes them a great oyster all year long. So regulation, refrigeration, and reproduction are the three R's that I say that are really a part of what makes it possible for an oyster to be enjoyed all year. And as I've educated people here, local people here, it's amazing. I mean, I just did a festival last weekend and people were just going gaga over the taste of this summer oyster. They're absolutely fantastic. And once people understand all of those things and know that they can eat them, you know, I wouldn't just know your farmer, know that your farmer is taking care of your oyster, refrigerating it properly and you've got a great summer oyster. It's it sounds like it. And I mean that's so fun that also you you know you're delivering to farmers markets and you can build those relationships with um with people that, you know, that want to find out where their where their food is coming from. And that's actually how I found out about you. I did a farm tour with the Legacy Greens who is also part of Red Hills Market. And so yep. <laughs> it's it's so fun. Yeah. Like what's that experience been like working with Red Hills to getting your name out there and just really supplying the people of Tallahassee and Northeast Florida with some great products? I want to give Red Hills online market the biggest shout out. They are amazing. Red Hills online market, you log in, you create an account, you go on and buy from hundreds of producers that live within a hundred mile radius of Tallahassee. They post, we post, okay, all of us that are selling on there during the week, what we've got available. So, you know, the people that are growing different plants or vegetables or whatever would list what they have and what they don't have. I list what I have in terms of oysters. Do I have grilling size oysters? And then people go on and order, place their order online. We deliver our products on Wednesday and on Thursday, they're delivered to the people who ordered them. They either pick them up at a hub or they're delivered straight to their home. It is amazing. It's such a support for the local farmers to be able to have this, this organization that really serves us and serves the community with fresh, fresh, locally grown, sustainably grown produce. It's really fantastic. So the Red Hills online market, I love that. I go to the Tallahassee farmer's market. I shuck at the craft breweries around town, Oyster City and Proof and Ology and Lake Tribe. Um, I do festivals and venues and all kinds of things like that to make sure that these oysters are out. People are enjoying them. That's great. That's a combo that I would love to see. Oyster Mom and Oyster City Brewing. I mean, I am a huge fan of Oyster City. I wish we had one of their bars here in Panama City. But, I mean, the Apalachicola one is only an hour away. So, it's it's a great pilgrimage to go over there and enjoy their beer. 
So this past year, they made a beer using my oysters. No way. I had to shuck a ton of oysters. And I, this was my oyster shucking learning experience. I literally, you know, went on my back porch and shucked oysters for, I don't know, two or three hours. Took them to Oyster City in Apalachicola. And, we, and they brewed a brew called Pucker Shucker. <laughs> and, and so it's all gone right now. You can't get it now. But Pucker Shucker was on the taps for quite a while. It was a light beer. It was a, a sour beer. It was good. I enjoyed it because I'm not a heavy drinker and it was a very light beer. So I, I enjoyed it a lot. So, I mean, how exactly did they use the oysters in that? They literally put it into the brew when they were brewing. Oh my goodness! What, was yeah, there like a I light know. hint of oyster? I mean, probably. Yeah, like a little the saltiness to it, the sourness to it. Yeah, that's interesting, man. I, I follow them on Instagram and Facebook. I'm gonna have to see the next time they make that. That's really yeah, cool. Yeah. Talk about a cool collaboration. You don't hear about <laughs> much stuff like that. I know that was pretty impressive. I. I Never expected anything like that. I mean, you know, serving oysters with beer is one thing, but making beer <laughs> with oysters is a whole nother level. That, and then I work with Fresh from Florida chef Justin Timerney to create new recipes and um, for what you can do with oysters. So we're going to do a collaboration together at a, a store here in Tallahassee in September, a store called Brown's Kitchen. So we'll be working on that and teaching people how to shuck and how to make these different mignettes and toppings and casseroles and things with oysters. So there's so much you can do with an oyster. That sounds like it. That's so fun. And, and I mean, even on top of that, um, we all know that oysters also make pearls, right? Not these. Not these. So there are different varieties, some that make per- pearls and right. some that don't. That's that's a different species of oyster. So you might get a hard, black, ugly rock in one of my oysters, one of the Eastern <laughs> oysters, cross a strainer of Virginica, but not a pretty pearl. Okay. so <clears throat> It would be pretty rare. Okay. So I remember, I think it was like two years ago, we had some oysters here in town and I had a little tiny, tiny pearl, but they said they weren't from Florida. So, so those were probably from somewhere like, I don't know, the Northeast? It's actually a Pacific oyster that grows oh, okay. the, the pearls. And they literally put grains of sand in the pearl and make them make the pearl. Yeah, that's interesting how that happens. I've done some research on that. And yeah, like they put the the grain of sand in the oyster and then that eventually becomes the pearl. Right. Which is very interesting. So what we make with my oysters, I provide my oyster shells to several different jewelry makers and artisans here in Tallahassee. And um, Quincy Hamby is one of them. She makes all of my jewelry. And sells oyster jewelry, and it's just absolutely gorgeous. That's cool. I mean, that's another way to use the shell. I mean, it's so cool that there's so many products you can make with oysters, beer, and jewelry that not a lot of people realize, really. I have a little container I hang on to my tumbler, and when I see a shell that I really think would be pretty for Quincy to use, it just goes into that container, and then I give them to her. Now, I know that scallop season is opening very soon, and that's something my friends and I absolutely love to do. Does that ever have an impact on you guys raising your oysters? No, it's pretty much in a different habitat. You have to have a lot of seagrass where you're scalloping. Mm, Okay. And so it's um, where we are allowed to do oyster aquaculture we are not allowed to do it if there's seagrass present. 
So would that seagrass naturally filter out the water as opposed to the oysters? The seagrass is threatened species. I mean, it's really been impacted by boat traffic and pollution mm-hmm. and lack of light. And so they don't want that kind of oyster <clears throat> aquaculture activity on top of a, a healthy seagrass bed. So what's going to be interesting is that the oyster aquaculture cages and the whole operation eventually could actually create a better habitat and seagrass might grow in an area where we're doing oyster aquaculture. Okay. That's interesting. I mean, and yeah, I mean, come to think of it, whenever we do go, you know, there's grass everywhere and you've always got to find the little blue beady eyes to find the scallops. And whenever somebody told me that before the first time we went, I was like, no way, I don't believe you. But then, you know, when we're swimming around, you do see just these bright blue eyes and you're like, oh, that's a scallop, but you better have a glove because they will pinch the crap out of your fingers. They're fun. <laughs> we love scalloping. We love scalloping. It's it's a lot of work for a very little bit of meat. Like we did it all day and we got like just a little Ziploc bag full of meat. And we're like, man, that's a lot of work. You got to go out there, find them. Then you got to shuck them. Then you got to cook them and you just get a little bit of scallop meat. But it's, it's, I mean, it's really good. They're tasty. They're very good. They are. Well, Keller, this has been awesome. If people want, if people are in Tallahassee, if they're in North Florida and they want to find you, they want to find your oysters, what what are the best places and the best channels for them to follow, to follow you and see what you're up to and best yet to try your oysters? So if they follow me on Facebook and Instagram, that's really the best. If they want to order oysters, oystermom.com, you can actually order them there and I get an email that tells me you want oysters. Be sure to put in when you want them and I try to harvest as close to that date as possible. You can get my oysters at the Tallahassee Fish House and Oyster Bar located north of town on Thomasville Road. I have them there every week. And then if you follow me on Facebook and Instagram, you'll see when the events are happening where I'm actually shucking or, or selling at like a farmer's market or having an event. So this Saturday, I'll be at Proof Brewing Company for the charity shuck. And I'll also be at the farmer's market, the Tallahassee Farmer's Market at Carrie Forest and Thomasville Road. But really calling me or online you can always get a bag of oysters. Well, perfect. Well, I'm going to have to head over to Tallahassee sometime soon and get some of your oysters and try them. This was so much fun, Keller. I really appreciate it. It's always fun to connect with farmers and even aquaculture farmers here in North Florida. So it was so great to virtually meet you and uh, best of luck. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Farm Traveler. Be sure to share this episode with a friend or family member if you enjoyed it. And check out all the links below in the description for all things that we talked about. So thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.